Hello and welcome to the Talking Tradesman podcast. I am joined this evening by John Graham of JG Decorator up in York, I believe. That's correct. Is that right? That's correct. Right, John, let's talk, my mate. Um, I believe, because we're recording this in the depth of January, if uh, your Instagram tells a story, it's snowing up there, isn't it? It has been, yeah. It it was, um, we've had flurries of it kind of here there and everywhere north yorkshire is it's a huge rural area and where where i live in particular is basically in the middle of nowhere it's a 25 mile journey to york it's around about a 28 mile journey to scarborough so we're kind of like in the middle of nowhere and um because of the geography of being like the Vale of York and the Vale of Pickering, uh, they were, you know, ancient lakes at, at, at some point in the distant past, is that geographically you have these like microclimates. So it can be snowing literally like a, a couple of miles down the road from you. Uh, and it will be snowing or raining all day, but you have a completely different experience and the experience today mm. has been a very interesting drive to work in the snow yeah i bet mate i bet so for anyone listening um I'm, i've been aware of john and, and jg decorator for a while via instagram because we're both in the same trade so as you can guess john's a decorator um so yeah we're, we're in the in the same trade mate um as I like to do with these things, because I believe, you know, this podcast is about getting to know the person behind the business. We're bound to touch on business because it's just one of those things. Mm. But this is about getting to know the person behind the business, your story, your journey. Um, and as with any story, it has a beginning. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, tell us a little bit about you then, John. So in relation to the trade itself, I'll just start there, is... Um, I um, set out on this journey for, uh, the day after finishing my um, GCSEs at secondary school. I went through my apprenticeship at Hull College, really enjoyed the experience. Like Looking back now, you know, at the time I was a 17, 18, 19-year-old lad. Um, mm-hmm. I had my, my ups and downs with it. Um, came out of that. Did my did my MVQ level three, um, went self employed but didn't do decorating full time. Uh, mixed it up with some window cleaning at, at the time. Um, okay. Then when I got married in two thousand and two, um, it was my wife who um, kind of really gave me the confidence to choose one or the other. Um, at the time, I probably earned more money being a window cleaner than I did decorating. Um, Mm. But I, I I didn't get um, the enjoyment out of painting that I did do with window cleaning. So around about 2003, 2004, I, I undertook doing it full time and um, being a professional painter and decorator at the time charging £50 a day yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and kind of doing it that way and working my way through um, the experiences of what it's like to be self-employed. Um, mm. I've had opportunity to teach the trade uh, at York College for a period of time. Um, okay. And I do 
a lot of social media work and stuff like that because I'm really passionate about this job. I'm a paint nerd yeah. and I'm I'm not like uh, I'm not embarrassed about that or anything. But I come with it with that kind of educational um, side from it from my teaching, um, and I really enjoy speaking to other decorators, other tradespeople, other apprentices about this trade that I'm really passionate about and doing my boring videos like every day and stuff like that, just chronicling my day-to-day -day life as a painter um, and the ups and downs that come with that as well. So that's my journey with being a painter and decorator. And you can find me, yeah. JG Decorator, on Instagram. <laughs> I'll get the plug in there. <laughs> Got that one in there quickly, John. Well, I think I lost you for a moment there. Yeah. There we go. Um, yeah, you got that one in there quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you can uh, cut that out, mate. I like. do. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, I'm more than happy, mate, you know, promote your business all the way through. <laughs> so, yeah, you can find John at JG Decorator on Instagram, and he does do some cracking videos. Um, you're on there. It's B fair play boring, to you, mate, because you're on there consistently. Vi boring videos. No, but not at all. Say cracking. They're boring. Of... talking about paint drying. No. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of what you do, though, mate, and what I like is uh, a lot of your stuff is is angled at the education. So, it, mm. to me, that's paying it forwards and helping other people. Yeah. Um, and not everybody is prepared to do that, you know. Um, and I know I've seen that you've got like a separate page that you angle at apprentices in the trade. And mm. So, again, it's paying it forwards into the trade, isn't it? And offering yeah. your knowledge for free, essentially. Yeah, so, absolutely. So no play for doing those, mate. But you, like I said, the, the other thing is you are pretty ever-present. You're consistently present on there with your stories. So anyone listening, really, um, anyone watching your stories, there's, there's a lot to pick up, a lot to learn, and it's all free. And one of the principal reasons why um, I, I do my videos is that, and this kind of goes into the mental health aspect of it, is that mm. working by yourself on your own can be boring and it can be incredibly lonely as well. Yeah. You know, w when you are sanding something down or you're literally watching paint dry so that you can get another coat on, you, um, you're just by yourself with your own thoughts, your own kind of mental and emotional bubble and i find the things that i do help me in a way to just speak to other people because otherwise yeah. i would be either speaking to the client or speaking to the family and that's all who i would be speaking to um so i find the yeah. mental health side of it uh, appeals to the way that um, I'm conscious of my own mental health and well-being and factoring in uh, processes and strategies to to cope with the lonely aspects of uh, working on your own. Yeah, I, th I think you've hit the nail on the head, mate. There is, and this is a recurrent theme because one of the things, and, you know, we'll, we'll jump straight into the deep end here. One of the things I've asked every guest on the podcast so far is why they think that, the the rates of people taking their own lives are such an issue in the building trades and the mental health issue is by far superior and you know it overshadows any other industry why would you say that the building trades are so adversely affected in comparison to other trades 
So again, I come from this from partly an educational point of view. I'm also outside of being a painter and decorator. I'm a foster carer as well. So I'm um, aware of some of the the, the mental health uh, situations that present themselves, particularly in children who are suffering from trauma, childhood trauma mm -hmm. in particular, um, yeah. and seeing how that presents itself, not only in a child, but also how that how that might present itself in an adult as well. So what I find is that it's uh, trauma at some point, which we, we all have as human beings, as, as conscious agents, we all have traumatic experiences in our lives to a greater or lesser degree. And it's how we manage that, how we resolve those issues, and how we come to terms that there are maybe certain things that we're never going to get closure with, we're never going to um, have concluded uh, uh, to our uh, benefit. Um, but then it's ways in which we, we manage that. So in, in the building industry in particular, I think it's a combination of um, being part of uh, an institution and an attitude within a trade where men of a certain generation, I'm not going to say all men, don't feel as if they can talk about their issues or they've got to be drunk to talk about their issues. They can't do it in a, a sober way, in a meaningful way, mm. because that is viewed as being, well, um, and I don't mean this in a homophobic way, but are oh, you being a bit gay? Are you being a bit weak? Are you being a bit camp? Or we don't talk about our emotions. We don't talk about issues. We, we're strong men. We keep it all together. And it's a generational thing, and it's it's an institutional thing. Why I feel some, not all men, find themselves in a position within the construction industry where suicide is the most rational uh, thing to do in their minds. Yeah, which you know you could argue is is not. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's a question that I'm asking everyone mainly because there doesn't seem to be an answer. Um, and I, I would hope that if there was a clear answer, then there'd be some kind of action being taken. So mm. just interesting to get everybody's different perspective on it. I mean, one of the things that you said there was about the, the time spent alone and the, the solitude of it and mm. that you use social media almost as a, a remedy to that. Um, and I must say, to be honest, within our trade, within the painting and decorating industry, there is this like online community of, mm. of people that interact. And I think that does come from a lot of people working solo. And I think I probably, up until you mentioned it then, I'm now sat here thinking about it. And that definitely alleviates some of that feeling of solitude and the, the lonely mm. element of the trade. So I think, you know, that that's a huge positive, really. Um, and, yeah, and, it is. Find... Go, go ahead. No, go <laughs> no, I and I do think um, that some people struggle with that notion of that it's mm. um, 
you, you, you're doing this because you enjoy interacting with other people. Um, you're not, you're not, there's no ulterior motive for, for networking with other people. I've had it from family, my own wife, you know, you spend too much time on Instagram and, you know, too long doing your stories and stuff like that. And yeah. my, my kind of reply to that um, is, you know, it, it takes me the time um, to, to make a cup of coffee to do my stories for the day. And it, it helps me from staving off the feelings of loneliness, of, of being alone. And I'll carry on doing that. And if, you know, if other people have an issue with that, then that's their problem. It's not my problem, and um, I that that's where kind of my own personal uh, resilience and my own personal trauma has played a part in me just having to um, shield off um, that type of criticism. I mean, it's interesting, mate. I mean, I'll, I'll pull back. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned there was that you do foster caring and you mm. have to consider things like childhood trauma. I mean, first of all, mate, that's it's an amazing thing to do. Um, do you do you do long term or short term or is it a mix or how does that work? Um, so we do um, the, the whole range. Um, so currently we have uh, a girl, um, teenager who's staying with us has been with us for um, three months and will potentially stay with us for a lot longer. Uh, we had um, a boy who was uh, 13 stay with us for a week. Uh, he went back last Sunday. Uh, we've had a little girl um, be with us since she was 10 months old and uh, she will be with us like long term uh, until she's 18. So, oh, wow, that's I, incredible, mate. Yeah, so I've got a daughter, um, my own daughter. I've got three children, uh, three biological mm. children, I should say. Um, uh, my daughter, Jasmine, is 20. Um, my mm. f fraternal twins, my son and my daughter, have just turned 17. And oh, wow. my littlest one, Willow, is uh, will be four the end of May, so I'm I'm parenting all over again. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. So you you've had your biological children; they're getting to the stage where they're a lot more independent. I mean, my son yeah. turns seventeen in April, so I'm I know that age. Um, and then you you've gone right the way back, right the way back I, to having I, a little I'm one. Not, yeah, I'm not kidding when I say this. Is that um, two weeks ago I was doing driving lessons with Joshua and Mia. And I was, we're trying to potty train our youngest at the moment. So I was cleaning out soiled uh, knickers <laughs> in the afternoon. So I've got various yeah. different hats that I've got to wear um, as yeah. being a parent. Fair play, fair play to you, mate. I mean, as I say, there's there's a lot of nobility um, and with the, the fostering as well, because I'm sure a lot of the children that come to you have come from quite a troubled and traumatic background to be in that position. So how how do you how do you cope with that? So um, I, I suppose it might be advantageous to answer that by talking about my own childhood, if that's of um, 
So here's the can of worms. Let's just pop the lid off that and let's see what comes out. Let's rip it off and see what happens. So um, I I was raised um, extremely religious from the ages of Mm. being born to my early 30s. Um, I was was a, a fundamentalist Christian. Um, evolution was uh, not right. Um, I had particular viewpoints about gay men and women, trans men and women, uh, even biologically, you know, female women as well, um, Mm. that their place was secondary to me being a man. Um, I was raised with the idea the very real, tangible idea that the end of the world was coming any day now. Um, I can remember my dad saying to me that he can't, he couldn't imagine me leaving primary school. This was when I lived in Manchester. I'm a Manchester lad. Um, he couldn't imagine me leaving primary school and the world still being here. So from being a child, I was raised with the idea all of my school friends, all of my teachers, anyone who wasn't part of this group w- were destined for imminent death and destruction. At any moment, it could happen. And as, as a child, you raise with that, and you raise with believing that that is true. And uh, that because you're a good person, because you're a good member of this religious community, uh, this cult, this high-control, high-demand group, that if you uh, play your part, if you do the right things, you'll be able to get through this, you know, the end of the world, and you'll be in paradise at the end of it. And so um, I don't know if you've got any, want to ask me any bits about that so far? Um, I guess how how was it as like as a child to be initially raised with that like impending sense of doom hanging over you, where you thought that because the thing is, when you're a child, and I think there's a part of evolution really that installs in us that you kind of just believe what your parents say. I think mm. when we're growing up, it's a safety mechanism because when yeah. you're a kid and your parent says, "If you walk off that cliff, you will die." I mean, yeah. technically, as a child, you don't know. So you take it as, well, forgive the expression, but gospel. Yeah. Um, so if you're told as a child that that is going to be the case, I imagine that you would believe that 100%. Well, um, it becomes, yeah, it becomes your constructed reality. Outside of objective reality, that becomes your, um, your way of seeing the world. Uh, there are many writers who have talked about the God glasses, these spectacles that you put on that filter objective reality through these spectacles and you compose this reality by which, you know, it's us and them. It's a a kind of fake reality, Um, but you don't know any different because you're a child. Um, Yeah. Have you got drum music on in the background? Mate, do you know what? For anyone who can actually hear this, I mean, the software's (laughs) good at taking things out, so I'm praying it can. But (laughs) this is the first time I've ever known this. It would appear there's a band practising in the building. (laughs) So this is the first I've ever known of this. 
But yeah, because I've got noise cancelling headphones in. I was like, why can't why can I hear that? But yeah, there's a, a band playing. Nice. So is that really is that really loud for you, John? No, it's it's not bad. It's just no. I could I could see you taking a headphone out to to hear yeah. it. Let, well, let's hope they're any good, mate. It might play a nice like backing track. I'm yeah, not sure what track. kind of music they're playing, yeah. but there we go. We'll, we'll crack up, mate. This is a adds to the reality of things, doesn't it? So I'm sorry for but, the interruption, mate. No, but, no, it's yeah. So but, so jumping back into it, like how how was that to have that impending sense of doom i guess like at, at such a young age like how you, did you deal with that you didn't really think about it you didn't think of the reality of a situation like that because the way that the the group um uh developed the message was that you're okay you're safe because you're one of the the chosen few uh, and as a child you uh, grew a comfort from that um and solace that Everyone else, you know, everyone else, the bad people might, you know, might die, but I'm going to be okay. But then as you get older, you start to think, well, you know what? Um, I, I can't do, I can't celebrate a birthday because, you know, I'm part of this group and they don't celebrate birthdays. I, I can't do Christmas because the group says I can't celebrate Christmas. I mean, I'm, okay. I'm 42. And last um, last year was the second time I've celebrated my birthday. No way. So, yeah. Okay. That, I mean, that's took me by surprise a little because when you said <laughs> fundamental fundamentalist Christian, I I just assumed mm. that they would celebrate probably even with more vigor all of the traditional Christian things, but that sounds like that wasn't the case. Yeah, that's that's correct. What they tried to do is um, make themselves like distinct and unique from quote unquote false Christianity here, that not all Christians uh, okay. are good people. So, you know, out out of Christi out of Christendom and Christianity, um, there is like false Christians, but there are the true Christians. And don't you know? Because I happen to be born into a family that was part of this group. I happen to be a true Christian, don't you know? That it was, was an accident. Yeah. It was an accident of birth. Um, and so, were your whole fa when you say your family? How much of your family were part of that religion? So, um, all of my immediate family. So, my 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 dad and my mum. Um, and myself and my brother, my parents mm. separated when I was seven and a half, uh, separated and divorced. Because of the way that the group functions, and this is the high demand and in particular high control aspect of the group, was that because my mum not only left my dad, but left the religion as well, um, I had to cease all contact with my mother. So for yeah. uh, for almost, uh, I, I had a bit of contact with my mum for a couple of years after that, but basically for like 15, 20 years, I didn't know whether my mum was alive or dead because of the way that the group structured its control of the adherence. Anyone who left 
You just yeah. treat them as they are literally dead, not figuratively. Wow. You are they are literally dead to you. And if you speak to them, you potentially could be removed from the group as well. And you don't want to leave the group because the end of the world's coming. So don't you want to stay with us? Don't you want to stay and go into paradise? And again, I'm a child. I'm a child listening to this. I can't speak to my own mum because I don't want to die because the end of the world's coming tomorrow. Wow. And what age were you when your mum left? Um, So my parents divorced when I was seven and a half. Uh, Kept in contact with my mum for... uh, until I was maybe nine, uh, ten, uh, but then, yeah, then lost all, all contact uh, with my mum. For for a period of 15 years? Yeah, 15 years. Wow. And then, so in, the, in Yeah, go ahead. So, sorry, John. Uh, so, so, in, so in that time, you were solely raised by your father? Uh, for a period of years, and then my dad remarried, and we moved from Manchester to Hull, where my my dad and my stepmom, and my full brother and my half brother, uh, still reside. Um, uh, both, yeah, yeah. So we move, we we move kind of over over to there. And so you were immersed in that lifestyle all the way through till when you were thirty. Uh, yeah, pretty much so. Um, so once I once we moved to Hull, I kind of lost contact with a lot of my friends who, you know, school friends, um, but also friends of my own age who were part of the community, uh, the religious community, um, because just distance and it was like the the nineties. You didn't have so you didn't have social media, kids, in the nineties yeah, yeah, when I was. Yeah. It was a different different world. Um, yeah, wasn't it just? And then um, my 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 dad remarried my stepmom, um, and the the issue with that relationship was there was a lot of domestic abuse, um, a lot of like abuse, physical abuse meted out to me. Um, uh, I, from your father uh, or from the stepmother? From from my father, um, but the the domestic abuse was between the the two of them, and it got quite uh, progressively more and more violent as well. And I'm privy to all of that as being you were witness thir- to it. Yeah, thirteen, fourteen uh, of it, um, and and so you see instances of like domestic abuse, you know, parents being thrown downstairs and shouting and screaming. And then the very next day, they're at church, put, you know, singing, reading the Bible as if nothing had happened. And, so there's that dichotomy starting to raise itself, this hypocrisy. Yeah. And at the time I'm, I'm a child, I'm not aware of these concepts as I do now. Um, but you knew it's instinctively that something was wrong, 
something was wrong in their relationship. Oh, hang on a minute, there's another couple in this group. Their relationship isn't good. Uh, and so you start to see... Um, you start to see these things happen, and that, but then you start to be cognizant of the the trauma that's affected you, how how that's presenting itself as well in my conduct, the way that I'm thinking, the way that I'm feeling, and the way that I try to justify to myself, well, my dad, you know. My parent hits me because he loves me. You know, um, was I don't that wanna... how it was actually was that framed to you that way, or yeah. was that your own deduction? Yeah, that was? because because the the the, um, the teachings was that um, the God of the Bible. And before I go any further, I've recognised that there are many people of faith and people who have. Um, I like to call it an experience with God that's personal to them. And whatever I say, I don't want to sound as if I'm taken away uh, from their experience. That's In my mind, that's sacrosanct. And I would never want to say or do anything that feels as if I'm, quote unquote, you know, attacking them in any way. This is just my lived experience. Um, is that in particular, the way that, I was raised, you know, the, the God of the Bible is a jealous God, is a vengeful God. He disciplines, disciplines harshly, but he does it out of love. Um, so when you got hit by your, by your parent, uh, you're being hit because the Bible clearly states, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. You know, so you had scriptural backing for corporal punishment and physical discipline. So you had this... Yeah this um this mashup of emotions that i'm being hit and feeling pain but they're telling me that i'm loved and they're doing it out of love so this churns around this um these feelings of love and hate and embarrassment and you know you're a teenager as well so you're dealing with like hormonal things and your body's changing, your mind's changing, your emotions are in flux. Um, and so it's churning around. And it came to the point where, like at 16, I'd tried to commit suicide myself because it was too much for me. All of these different emotions that were in conflict in, in my heart and in my mind. Sorry to hear that you went through that, mate. Um... I mean, at that point, when you, you say you tried to take your own life, was, was your father aware of that at the time? And how did that reflect on the position you were in, like with the religious or the religious group? How was that? Did anyone know? No, no one knew. No one knew. And in a way, this might sound strange, but in a way, I'm thankful that that no one within the group did know about it because I, I'm still part of the um, the, the ex-like community uh, who, you know, used to be part of the group but are no longer. And they give okay. instances of that they did 
uh, tried to commit suicide. Um, and then the people who were in charge found out about them, uh, about what had tried to uh, happen, and it worked out worse for them because they'd done that. So they were they were kind of they were punished for it. Yeah. Just one second. Well, no, it's fine, mate. John's struggling you. on through illness to bring it, bring it, bring his story to you too guys. Much, so too much talking. I'm really sorry. No, no, that that's what you that's what you're on for, my man. Um, yeah, I'm trying to process everything you've told me there, John. To be fair, I yeah. mean, so it goes without saying that obviously you didn't end up taking your own life. Mm. What, what was the turning point? What stopped you, or what was the turning point? where you, you decided to not reinvent. So at the time, you have to remember, I, I was very religious. You know, the uh, just, I won't go into too much detail, but the, the mind of the type of believer that I was is that reality is both the physical and the spiritual. Within the spiritual realm, you have uh, God and Jesus and the angels, but you have Satan and the demons, and they play. Um, they they uh, have a presence in the physical realm itself. So I'll leave it at that. So at the time, I felt that I had God's hand on my shoulder, stopping me from ending my life i i did honestly feel that, that that was the case um that i would be displeasing god uh i would be making him sad and i wouldn't want to do that so in a in a strange way not only did your religion lead you to that place but it then led you out of it as well or it your own belief system actually stopped you from taking it any further yeah, I mean, funnily enough, now, now that I'm not religious, now that I'm atheist and agnostic in, in terms of a, a, a knowledge and belief in God or gods, is that I come to realize that, that there, were, there was no God with his, you know, its hand on my shoulder. It was me at the end of the day. It was me doing that. I chose not to end my life. I... I chose to end my life, <laughs> yeah. but I chose not to. I, I had the power to make that change. Um, uh, um, and, you know, at, at the time it was very visceral, very emotional. And now with hindsight, I can look back on it being a bit more measured. Uh, obviously older, a bit more mature. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. It's all right, mate, it's fine. I'm really sorry. I just no, keep on John, getting it. Don't apologise, mate. Fit. It's horrible, isn't it, when you get that tickle oh, and you can't it, get it's rid. It's just coming. So. It's okay, yeah. mate. I can edit it out. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's. Uh, I'm personally, I'm, I'm not religious myself. Mm. Um, never have been. Um, but then I wasn't raised around anybody that was either. Mm. Um, 
and I used to, if I'm honest, I used to be quite anti-religion. Uh, I'd say I've got a completely neutral standpoint now, mm. but I used to be very anti-religion. I would pick apart the theories and the and the interpretations because those, those books and religious scriptures in any faith are open to interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think my overall view on it now is if being religious and believing in any kind of God keeps you living a good life and it brings mm. you a sense of peace um then i'm all for that like i say i'm not religious myself it, it doesn't line up with any of my beliefs but i think what obviously you were exposed to was the extreme end of the stick on you know on the other side where it became mm. almost like religion was a prisoner to you sorry a, a prisoner a, a jailer not that you were the prisoner yeah yeah and, and and that's why um, the idea of a, a cult or what many professionals call a, a high demand and high control group is, you know, th this is what that group uh, is because it's still around today. <clears throat> and, um, and, yeah, but I kind of transitioned um, – through various different different things, um, from being religious to doubting to where I am now. <clears throat> how how did that journey transpire, John? It, I mean, just to one question first of all: Is your father out of interest? Is he still part of the group? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, how did your journey from being in the depths of that? <clears throat> to doubting to working your way out how did that transpire how did, how did that come transpire? about so um 2006 uh it was the year of my claire wife being pregnant for the whole of that year she was pregnant at the beginning of the year but then uh, nine weeks into that pregnancy uh, we lost that child. But by the end of the same year, Claire had given birth to Joshua and Mia, who are now 17. Okay. Through that process, um, we had... Um, we, we had members of our church, our congregation, come to us, and out of the kindness of their hearts... They, they kind of said, you know, don't worry, um, this isn't your fault, it's not God's fault, it's Satan, it's sin. Again, Christian-specific kind of phrases and ideology and what that brings um, into a religious, a, a Christian's mind. Um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure God will, will bless you and everything like that. And so when uh, when Claire got pregnant with with Joshua and, and Mia, we had the same people coming to her. Hasn't Jehovah blessed you and everything like that? And for the very first time, I kind of stopped and I thought, well, hang on a second. Why am I praising God when everything goes right, but um, it's someone else's fault when everything goes wrong? And that was the first very doubt for me. The first crack for you. Yeah. And this is like 2006. So it's the early, early year, the early years of like 
YouTube. And there happened to be a series of videos by Robert Winston, uh, who presented uh, Child of Our Times. And it was a series of videos on uh, conception and pregnancy. And through these series of videos, he went through the chemical and biological processes by which a sperm is created, an egg is created, and eventually an egg is fertilized. And then he went through the statistical probabilities by which you go from two, you know, microscopic elements of two distinct people that they come together and nine months after that you get a healthy child or in my case you get to, well not in my case but in claire's case she gives birth to two healthy children yeah it gave me a naturalistic explanation as to why pregnancy is successful and in some cases it's not successful the the need for the supernatural the need for the divine is secondary it's no longer needed um I came across instances of the French scientist Laplace, who was constructing his model of the solar system, presenting it to Napoleon. And Napoleon said, it's a fantastic work of artistry and mechanisms, but what about God? And Laplace retorted, this doesn't need God to function. There's a naturalistic explanation for it. And this mm. was the second kind of thing for me, that for me, all of my life, the divine, the, the supernatural and the natural had been so closely interlinked that what, one couldn't exist without the other. And now all of a sudden I realise, well, actually, it could well be that there is a separation between the two, that the natural world doesn't need the spiritual world. And it could well be that the spiritual world doesn't actually exist at all. And there is just the natural world. And, you know, over the course of like 10, 15 years of research and argumentation, and logical thinking and learning uh, of new ways to think about things, I, I came to an understanding of, you know what, there's probably more I don't know than I know, and the more humanity finds out about reality, the less we actually know. So I'm going to know even less than that. So, in essence, you educated yourself out of your belief system that you were sort of like, you know, uh, pre-programmed with as a child. You then educated yourself out of that mindset. Would that be right? Yeah, in a way, and this probably ties in really well to like mental health, I educated myself mm. out of a mode of thinking, a mode of feeling, and I was quite ruthless in, in doing that. As I mentioned before, um, mm. being raised in this type of group, I had particular opinions about myself. I was a sinner. I was corrupt. 
I was deserving of death simply for the mistake of being born and existing. I, I was raised with a particular notion about women, about gay men, uh, 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 the LGBTQ community, trans people, uh, other species that we share the planet with, the planet itself. I had all of these kind yeah. of notions. And so I, I had this frame of reference, this way of thinking about the world. And through education and through soul searching, um, I deconstructed uh, my old personality, my old old way of thinking and feeling, and tried to the best of my ability to, to build what I would later come to understand is my authentic self. That's really interesting, mate. I mean, I think you've had a, obviously quite a unique experience, obviously, coming up. Mm. But I'm sure there are still elements of what you're saying that people can resonate with. I mean, yeah. I was listening to that and thinking, first of all, you know, for all the, for all the downsides of social media, by the sounds of mm. YouTube coming along was actually instrumental in yeah. giving you the knowledge that you needed at that point in time. That and also and I was resonating. Well, funnily enough. Oh, okay. 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 Um, so just, but yeah, just the other quickly. thing that resonated. <laughs> Yeah, go on. So just quickly, so when uh, round about a couple of years after my doubts set in, um, mm. podcasts were starting to be a new thing, and I was working for a client, uh, and they had um, an internet radio. Never seen anything like it before. I think it's like two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, something like that. And they said, "Oh yeah, well, you've got all your DAB." radio stations but you've got these yeah you've got these podcasts as well it's like what what are podcasts they said well it's like um like radio shows but you can choose what you want to listen to so excuse me so i'm a big sci-fi nerd big star trek fan and uh, i went right i went through the categories sci-fi and uh, found one which was called uh treks in sci-fi which is like audio of Star Trek episodes, absolutely loved it. And then the, I, I just kept it running. And the podcast after that was a pos- podcast called um, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And I'm eternally thankful for the host of that podcast because that was about sceptical and critical thinking, uh, the way in which we think. Is it based on uh, cherry-picked evidence is it based on our own biases or is our reasoning um, based on evidence? And do we go where the evidence leads us or do we cherry pick the evidence for our preferred conclusion at the end? And learning this right at that initial stage of my early doubt uh, helped me to progress in a way through the emotional transition of uh, leaving God behind uh, that was Mm -hmm. evidence-based, that was sourced, that was reasoned and justified for me coming to whatever conclusions I come to now. Yeah, and and thank God that you did, you know, that you did do that. Um, I mean, as I was, I was about to say, that it resonated with me in that 
when I found myself in a, a poor mental situation, that was exactly what I did. I mm. focused a very different, but a similar path. Yeah. Um, I focused on educating myself out of it, looking into yeah. the science, the biology, the why this functions like that. Um, and that was enough for me to put myself on the right track. And by the sounds of it, you've done a, a similar thing. Um, I mean, the one question to ask John, because it sounds like with you coming out of the situation you were in, uh, you were married and had your first children prior to that. Was mm. your wife also part of the same religious group? Yes. Yeah, she was. And so she came out of it with you at the same time? And No. <laughs> No. Okay. Interesting. It was a, it was um it was a very difficult transition and mm. um between myself and, and my wife um we came close to the end of our our relationship on numerous occasions because of the the, the stress um that I had caused as well one one of the things that I had done really badly was that um, my transition out of the religion wasn't completely emotionless. I got very angry yeah. about it. I got very angry about the lies that I'd been given, the missed opportunities, and I mistakenly took out that anger, not, not, not physically, but that frustration, that anger, it spilled out in lots of different ways over the course of 10 or so years of being angry, angry with myself more than anything. Um, and th there are things that I truly, truly regret, screaming at my kids, screaming at my wife, um, being emotionally unstable, mentally unstable, uh, and the 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 star the the scars that I bear from that is my relationship with my children isn't isn't I mean it's good but it's not brilliant, especially with my yeah. oldest daughter. I, I love I love all of my children, I, and I'm so proud of them. But there are things that I, there there are things that I wish I could take back. There are things that I wish I could have done differently. But there are there, there are scars that we're meant to bear, and you you can't just take that away because it would be remiss of me to gaslight all my family and go, well, that didn't happen or that didn't happen as bad as you thought it was. It's for me yeah. to recognize the consequences of my actions and to uh, take ownership of them and fucking live with them as well because it's, it's not easy. It's not easy living with them. The scars that you bear, and even now, uh, just trying to be calmer, uh, not fly off the handle or anything like that um it's it's there because that trauma is there those scars don't 
don't go away. It, I have to keep it in check. And th- there's times where Claire's not been in a good man. You know, she's a busy, she's a busy woman. She, she, you know, is a partner in the business. She runs a fantastic family. She's a principal foster carer. Her life is busy and, and she has difficult days. And there's times where we just clash and it's like, I've got to go. You've got to go. We just can't be around each other at the moment. And yeah, it, it, there's, there's so much I regret. So much. The thing is, John, I mean, we all do carry regrets. Um, but by the sounds, listening to your story, you've sort of hit a period in your life where you've taken everything that you believed and everything that was installed in you at a fundamental stage as a child. And then you've had to rebuild yourself from scratch. So you've had to reformulate your opinions, your beliefs and everything. And that kind of period of growth where everything that you once believed is now gone. It's Mm. not only is it, it must have been, I would imagine, a lonely place for you to be in a relationship where you had shifted before Mm. your wife. Yeah. Um, it's a period then where you've got to, like you said, you know, discover who you really are without all that, without all that framework that, you know, it's like having a building and then taking the foundations away and going, okay, well, you're going to wobble now. Let's see if you fall over. Um, does it, does, it must have been an incredibly difficult time. Does this gaping, <clears throat> gaping void that's there, and then you're like, well, what do I do now? Everything, everything that was me just just went, you know. And then you're you're asking those fundamental questions about myself, you know, about your yourself. What what is it to be a man? What is it to be um, a conscious? agent in the world how 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 do i actually feel about these groups of people that all of my life i've maligned one it's it one of my greatest regrets one of the consequences of that is i came i came out of that mode of thinking that mindset in particular of the LGBTQ community, that they were sinners, they were degenerate, they were deserving of death, and that anyone who supported them were deserving of death. That's in the Bible. I can tell you where it is in, in Scripture. Yeah. But then my daughter, my oldest daughter and my son, are both gay. So through my sacrifice, they can now be true to themselves. So the scars yeah. that I bear are worth it because they won't have to scar, be scarred with the same trauma. Yeah. But that, that's what it is to be a dad. That's what it is to be a father. Oh, you, yeah. you take this stuff Absolutely. on to protect your own children. Uh, and <clears throat> it, it's... <clears throat> It's kind of a good and a bad thing as well, because you end up um, 
shouldering quietly all of this burden on your shoulders. You know, you're the strong, silent type. And in essence, she's screaming in agony because it's just yeah. too much on your shoulders. And, yeah. The, I, I listened. I can't remember where I heard this, um, but it, it made me think back when you said, you know, you had times where you would shout or scream at your wife or your kids. Um, and I listened to a, a psychologist talking who basically said, the thing is with men, we don't tend to, I know there are exceptions, but we don't tend to break down hysterically. So when you go out mm -hmm. on a Friday night and you see a lad in the street shouting and wanting to fight everybody and, and all that kind of thing, that is a man's version of breaking down in tears. That is a yeah. man's cry for help. That That's a man yeah. screaming internally. The child inside us is crying, is wanting the help, the attention that they need. And, and that's, Sometimes the outward display of those emotions from a man comes across as aggression and shouting and storming out and banging things. Mm. Um, but inside, it's actually the same emotions that, you know, a woman might burst into tears for. Yeah. Um, and from what you've just said as well, mate, about your, your children, I think, although you said that you have your regrets and obviously you'd change things if you went back, I think they're still lucky that you came to the conclusions you did by the sounds of it and were strong enough to make the yeah. changes and walk away. Yeah. Um, I, I, mean, I, I, I don't really want to, because I, I don't, I wouldn't want to imagine what life for them might have been like. Had yeah. you have not made those changes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, it would have been, it would have been very similar to the many gay men and women who find themselves in similar situations, you know, right now, where for whatever reason, mm. they, they can't be true to themselves. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it, it's hard to kind of, it, it's their choice and whether it's right or wrong, I'm not in a position to, to, to say. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful I'm thankful for the journey that I've been on. I am the person who I am now. You know, yeah. all of these events are in my past. I, but I am the person who I am now, you know, Thursday night, uh, because of all of these things that have happened. If any of these things had been different, mm -hmm. I would be a, a different person now. If my parents hadn't have separated, I wouldn't be here now. I wouldn't have my family. I wouldn't have my beautiful wife. Um... Uh, you know, uh, my existence would be completely different. That's it. Um, I think if you can adapt that mindset where you can find value in your trauma, that's mm. where the whole mindset, uh, mindset shifts. And it's such a powerful thing. It's such a powerful mindset shift to look back at the shit that's happened to you in life. Yeah. And try and find the value from it, the lesson from <coughs> it. Um, well, have you, I know I've used it the... as a growth. Yeah, I've used the analogy in the past that we, uh, the fire that's within us is that we can use it for one of two things. We can use that fire to, as, a, as a fuel, and we can use that fuel to consume us, or we can use it to propel us to greater things. And uh, yeah. I think w with, all of the, with all of us, men, women, 
Um, and within the spectrum of gender and everything like that is that we, we have the, the opportunities to wallow in our own self-doubt and pity or we can propel ourselves to something greater. That's it, isn't it? I think the, you can let your trauma become your identity if you're not careful. Mm, yeah. You, you can, so, that, that so can, easy. You can yeah. That. Yeah. It's so yeah, easy to, to do. The victim of whatever happened to you and that can become a strong part of your identity. And I know the word it, victim it, is, is laced, but. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that, and I come from this with being part of a religious community, and then being part of the ex-religious community. But now I'm I'm past that now. Um, is that with within the the ex-religious community is that people were perpetually a victim, and that for many people they were just. Uh, trapped in amber of victimhood, which was legitimate. They, they were, they had trauma, but they either didn't want to or didn't have the means to break out of that uh, amber prison of their own mental and emotional state to, to go beyond that. And now I find myself beyond that to the person who I am. I'm I'm not a member of that religious community. I'm not an ex-member of that religious community. I'm just me now. Yeah, so you've you've grown and you've moved past that. It's, it's always yeah. going to be a part of who you are because it's part of your growth story. But you're, I like, see, that's what I like to think. And me personally, I like to think that I'm on a steady upward trajectory of mm. growth, always growing, always learning. So the person I am this time next year won't be the person that's <coughs> talking to you now. Um, but a lot of people do, like you talked about the amber, you know, I like to say people crystallize. So mm. they get stuck at a level yeah. and that they stop growing and they become what they are in that very moment. Mm. And I think that's a very dangerous um, and painful place to be um, personally. But to, to pull it back to your story, John, so was it a gradual did you gradually leave the group or was it like an explosive one day I'm out? Uh, it was, it was gradual. It took about 10 years of, it of took me that long to leave. Yeah. Yeah. So from, uh, the age of 25 to yeah, 34, 35 is when I, I eventually, uh, left and and through that period of time i th there's a term within the group uh, especially the 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 ex community is that you're um you're physically in so you're attending church services and things like that but you're mentally out so you no longer believe the unique teachings of the group you might still have a belief in god um, or, you know, the salvation of Jesus Christ or the tenets of, of the Bible. Uh, but you no longer believe, uh, you know, our group's special compared to everyone else. So it, it took me a good 10 years uh, to transition through to the point of, yeah, yeah. mid-30s. Mid um, 
to to completely leave. Um, my wife was still part of the group. Uh, she found it very difficult because my children uh, stopped attending as well uh, over a, a course of time. And then eventually uh, my wife left for different reasons. She still has a, a very firm belief in um, a higher power, a, a creative force within the universe. Um, mm. But I think if if God were of any gender, God would be a woman, uh, personally, uh, because women probably is <laughs> create. Yeah, women create life, and I could I could appreci yeah. appreciate a a creative force being having a feminine aspect uh, to itself. Well, I think to be fair, mate, it's worth saying at this point, you and your wife have done incredibly well to have, as rocky as it might have been, stuck together through that because you've both yeah. gone through a huge change and all too often when it comes to relationships, people do change and they grow apart and that's the end. So the fact that you guys have stuck with it, stuck together through your changes is really commendable, mate. So, you know, that's, that's a, a big credit to you guys. I think it's partially down to my 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 wife is a, a fantastic person anyway. She's gone through her own uh, issues and trauma. Uh, I think one of the things that has um, helped us is open communication and honest communication. Don't get it. We don't get it all right. You know, sometimes. Um, I don't know if you've had a situation where the words that are coming out of your mouth are not necessarily the words that are being heard by your partner. We're both living, breathing creatures. You know, we have our good days and our bad days, but open communication has really helped. But I think what has particularly helped us is um, over the past kind of five, six years that we've been fostering, we have... Through education, again, it seems to be that we've we've learned more about trauma, especially for children, um, mm. how that might present itself in different ways uh, throughout a child's growth and experience, and how childhood trauma can affect you in later life as an adult, and I think learning about that, educating ourselves with the aid of helping the children who we care for um, has made us um, have the vocabulary and to understand the principles by which we can now describe our own trauma in a way hmm. that is better descriptive, better understood and then you're better able to work on that and, and work through yeah. the problems and issues that you're going to have. You know, it, it's, it's, it's hard being in a monogamous relationship. Myself and Claire, we've been married for 20 years. I love her to bits and I fancy the pants off her now. But she's, Probably thoroughly, she jokingly said one time, she said, Jonathan, one of these days, I'd love to open your internet browser history 
and just find one porn site instead of just brush reviews and, and stuff like that. Stop talking to me about painting. Yeah, stop talking to me about paint. I'm just not interested. So it's having yeah. a laugh and a joke and having a good sense of humour. Even after all this time and all of the the different things that we've gone through, we still uh, we still have a laugh and a joke, uh, even at the worst yeah. of times. Um, and you know, I, I, and yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's, it sounds like you've got it right, mate. It really does. And I love Can I just the fact fill that fill up my glass quickly. Yeah, of course, mate. Yeah, I'll just be two you seconds. You can edit I'll, this bit out. No, it's fine. I'll, I, yeah, not a problem, mate. Not a problem. Yeah, what I was saying, John, is what I love about that is that you said that um, as part of the the fostering thing, you're learning about childhood trauma and that kind of thing, and. Um, one thing I've felt is through my journey in education, like learning about psychology and doing the yeah. degree that I'm doing, is there's so many times where I've, I've identified things in myself that I didn't even know were there through learning. Mm. So you learn about certain ways of thinking and behaviors, and then it's like, ah, oh, shit, half of that applies to me, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I believe through educating yourself, you can learn a lot more about yourself just by mm. learning about general trauma, psychology, that kind of thing. I think it's so valuable because you end up almost doing self-therapy. That's how it's been for me. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, and just going back to linking that to with being self-employed, is that understanding mm. that, it makes you better prepared for situations where a client may, may be uh, unjustified in their anger or frustration to you. I think educating yourself in, in that way, because they are quite meaty and quite heady topics to be dealing with. But I do think it yeah. makes you a better tradesperson as well. It makes you better mm. at openly communicating with your clients uh, and it mitigates any potential problems or issues that might uh, crop up in the course of working for particular clients who, who themselves may have good or bad days uh, as well. And one thing I'd, I want to ask you, John, before we move on, um, it is quite a niche subject that you've been talking about, but there's yeah. a chance that somebody out there at some stage might be listening yeah. to this who could be in a similar situation. Um, is there anything you would say to anybody who was in that position that you were in, uh, in terms of if somebody's out there having doubts about <clears throat> their sort of like programming, as it were, mm. what advice would you give to somebody that might have been in a similar situation? I think my advice would be is to take a minute and... Go easy on yourself and know that your doubts are justified, they're reasonable, and it's natural to have doubts as well. The, the interesting thing is that my situation, though it's not unique, but it might present as being unique to the, the listeners and the watchers of this, is that uh, a lot of the tenants um, are mimicked in from high control groups to uh, toxic relationships as well. 
being gaslighted, lied to, um, being manipulated, having your time, resources, finances dictated to what you can and can't do with them. And so, uh, especially for people who find themselves in, in a situation where they might be in a relationship or, or some form of control or demanding situation, those things um, are pretty relevant. Um, and and to, be, to be open to change, to uh, not deny your doubts, and that there are resources out there that can help and support you with whatever your unique, unique situation is. And the internet, for all of its problems and issues, especially if you're coming from a situation where you in a, are in a high demand or high control group, that there are support groups out there where you can be anonymous, you can maintain anonymity, and you can openly communicate about whatever problems or issues you're facing with people who have gone through something similar or like you and I, we're trying to educate ourselves and pr offer our um, perspective uh, from an educational basis to help support individuals who might be going through something similar. Yeah, I think what you've said there is bang on as well. Um, you know, although your situation was very unique, it does have a lot of crossovers with, like you say, with the control. Um, and that can easily cross over into any kind of toxic relationship, whether that's romantic or a family relationship. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a very valid point, mate. So you've, you've come obviously this far to the point where you have made that. What have we got there, John? Who's on the lap? This is Tilly. Can you, can you say Tilly? Tilly? Go on, hold, hold them up for Tilly. the camera. Come on, Tilly. Tilly, say hi. Oh, bless her. <laughs> She's a, a bobtailed cat. She has no tail. Oh, okay. As yeah. in by breed or by accident? By by breed, her mother and her brother didn't have a tail. So we, I oh, have no a way. tailless cat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fair play mate um yeah uh where was i so coming out of the situation that you were in mm. um to a, to a point of being fully out of the group now um how was that for you it was it was liberating um but it was scary as well um mm. the 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 group as part of its control mechanism it made out that anyone who left the safe confines of the group was again susceptible to worldly influences like drinking and smoking and using foul language and of course for a lot of a lot of people who come from a very sheltered existence they go into the real world with no experience with um, the, the, the 11 on the naivety scale. Because the world, with all mm. of its wonders and majesty, can be a, quit, a pretty uh, horrific place as well, if you're not careful. And people who are naive can be easily preyed upon by people who 
uh, gain pleasure from uh, being a predator um, for people yeah. who are naive. Um, so, yeah, I've, I find myself in a, a position now where there is there's wonder to the world because I had everything answered for me previously and now I haven't got all the answers and I'm enjoying trying to find them. Well, so it sounds like a fantastic place to be, to be fair. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear the positivity in that. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's one hell of a journey. I would imagine... Um, again, I was listening to it, whether it was a podcast or an interview somewhere, and the the theme of it was that during that sort of the the coming out of the chrysalis, the butterfly moment, as it were, mm. when you first come out of and you hatch into who is the new you, you're very alone. You haven't got your tribe around you because yeah. you're still finding who you are. And there mm. can be that sort of period of isolation where the friends that you had no longer match your values, but you haven't mm. found the new friends that hold the same values. Um, yeah. With it being such a massive life change that you went through, how did you find that element of it? Or are you still sort of navigating that? Still navigating that. Yeah, very much so. It's it's the same thing of like, um, uh, do you want to be my friend? <laughs> Someone, please be my friend. Yeah, very much. We're we're, we're still in that position now. Of um, I, I think you worded it really well. You know, old friends don't marry up with the principles and values that you have now, but you haven't fi- found people who, you know, have the same principles as you. So we're very much in that emerge from the chrysalis kind of moment, and. Yeah. You know, it's hard with having a family, um, especially having a, mm. you know, a, a younger child as well. Um, but it it just means that we're uh, closer as a family. And I, I jokingly say that one of the things that I love about parenting, again, is I made all my mistakes first time round, so I'm bound to get it right this time. Um, yeah, and I, I'm just enjoying the process of being a silly daddy uh, again. You know, mm. I can I can be silly. I can I can you know my little girl will say, "Daddy, what have you done today?" In reality, I've been sanding walls down, but I can say, "Well, <laughs> I rode a I rode a dragon to the moon, and I brought some moon back with me, and mm. I've left it in the van." Uh, but now I'm here to see you. I can make up any story. It's the wonderful thing of, especially just having Christmas. Mm. This is like the first proper yeah. Christmas where I've enjoyed the magic of it because I've seen Christmas properly through the eyes of a child. And I, I realised that, you know, for all of my life I've missed that. Uh, but I'm enjoying um, it vicariously through her. And it's it's such a wonder to uh, to behold. I must admit, when I think, I mean, I'll be honest with you, John. My initial response to can I imagine having a young child again now is like horror. So, like, oh my god! But mainly because mm. of the sleepless nights and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But when I think back, 
Um, I had my son when I was 22. And although at yeah. the time I felt ready, I felt like I was a man, I felt like I was an adult. Looking yeah. back now at 39, I think, I mean, I don't know. I mean, only my son could answer the question. I've, I've, I've done, I think I've always done the best I could with the tools I had. But I know yeah. for a fact that I now have a lot more talks. So I kind of think it would be cool to rerun that. And not that I'm I'm going to have any more kids because I'm actually, I'm disconnected. I've had a vasectomy. That's this. Game the game's yeah. over for me. <laughs> um, yeah, game's so, over. But I do think that it would, I honestly believe that I would make a much better father now because I've got all that extra experience, the tools, the knowledge that I didn't have then, that I was still immature. Yeah, funny. yeah, yeah. So I, I, you've I got that. Totally, you know. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I think, you know, I was 23 when uh, Jasmine was born. I was 25 when Joshua and Mia were born. I was a child myself, having yeah. children. Um, and I came with that with, a, you know, a... a child's mindset as well um go I, I know like messaging each other previous to this I, I mentioned about when it came to mental health within the group it was you um you you pray it away that's what you do you you don't seek advice you don't you don't go and seek medication the 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 advice from the group is changed a bit ever so slightly but it's still you you pray and get away and i you know i was still part of the the group back there when my children were born so i'm a child you know in my early 20s having children being a father again having you know the mental and emotional anguish anxiety of being a new parent and not having the vocabulary to describe how I'm feeling, praying fervently. I mean, my wife can attest to me being on my hands and knees, crying, praying, because I wanted to be a good father. You know, whether whether that works for you, that's great. It didn't work for me because... There is no, you know, I don't, I don't believe, and I have no knowledge that any god, any higher power, is interested in in anything like that. So I was in in. I, I thought I was doing the right thing with my mental health, but objectively, I wasn't. And I think it's a good way of showcasing how. Mental health is unique. It's unique to every individual. What works for some doesn't work for others. And what works for you now might not work for you tomorrow. And it's being open to that yeah. and being willing to change, uh, being willing to be aware of your own mental health and well-being and, like, change with that. I think it's worth, it's important to say as well, um, and after listening to some of the things that you've said, mm. that you, <clears throat> you should be kind to yourself in that a lot of the time you might look back at things now 
and think you should have done things differently. But at the time, mm -hmm. you were doing the best you could with the tools that you had at that stage in your yeah. life. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. you know, it, it's like, you know, let's bring it back to decorating here. But it's like looking back on the jobs that you used to hand sand and realizing that, yeah, you'd do a lot better with a with a Festool or a Merca. Um, but at that time, you didn't have them. It didn't exist. And it's the same yeah. with your mental state you know when you were younger and in the position you were in you were still mm. trying to do the best with the tools that you had at that stage those tools are far yeah. inferior to what you've got now but you know be kind to yourself john looking back um because i you know quite a lot you mentioned regret <clears throat> i think in context you can only as i say you can only have operated with what you had at that time mm. Yeah, so definitely. It's, it's, you know, it's an evolution, isn't it? And, and like I'm 42 now, I'm 43 um, in, in May will be my birthday. And I think I find myself in a position now where I get depressive moments. I suffer from anxiety a lot. Um, but I know what mm. I know what that is. I know, I, I know why I'm feeling that way. And. I've, I've put in places the pro. I, I have the processes to know that, be open to it, and it, you know, ha have the suite of ways in which I can calm my body, calm my mind, calm my emotions. So I'm, you know, the person who I am now is very different to the person who I was like at 35 when I left the group and the person who I will be in 10 years time will be different yeah. to the person that I am now. And yeah, I think right, it's yeah. been, yeah. been, been aware, being aware of that is as long as I am alive and a conscious creature, it's that evolutionary process um, of mental and emotional growth that I'm going through, and hopefully I can impart the successes and failures in a way that encourages my own personal growth and flourishing, uh, but also for uh, that for my children as well, which means that I need to be a communicative father, an open father, not a distant one. Um, talk about my mental and emotional health, my well-being, my good days, my bad days, so that my kids know, you know, it's all right to talk about stuff. My dad does. My mum does. It's that generational thing that we've yeah. been so caught in this generational thing of men. We don't talk about it. We keep it to ourselves. I'm hopefully my own way. I'm trying to break that cycle. Percent, mate. I mean... You know, the uh, the key thing um, that's been a recurrent theme through this conversation as well is that you're very reflective. So mm. you're reflecting on yourself all the time. Um, yeah. And even to the point where you're saying, you know, you're going to be somewhere else in 10 years time. So having that mindset in itself is is what I think what everyone needs. And if everybody mm. were to <clears throat> reflect upon themselves, um, because I think a key thing to mention is that the emotions never change. Like you still get like with me, I still get anxious. I still get angry. I still get aggressive. 
um, that what has changed is my tool set. So I've now got the tools to cope. I've got the coping mechanisms. I notice the, the warning signs a lot earlier and I know how to nullify those emotions and feelings as they come up. Whereas maybe 10 years ago, I didn't. So I was more reactive. I was more aggressive. Um, now I know my triggers a lot more. So I know how to work with that. Um, and again, you, you have to be kind on your, your, your younger self, the, the previous version of you, to know that there was still a lot of creases to be ironed out. There's still a lot of creases to iron out. Um, you can't look back on that previous version of yourself too critically because at that time that was all you had to work with mm. I've lost you, John. Lost him. Unfortunately, we appear to have lost John, so I'm going to try and get him back and edit it in. But if I can't, it might be the end of the conversation. So if that is the case and John can't rejoin the studio, at this point, I would like to say you can find John at JG Decorator on Instagram. Um, would be a shame to end the episode this way. However, it has been an incredibly insightful conversation. So I'd like to thank John for his time, his openness. And if anything you've heard today has affected you, then please do reach out. There are plenty of organizations out there. John is coming back. And John is back. <laughs> yeah, what happened there, mate? I just disconnected all of a sudden. Oh, okay. Uh, um, yeah, so I, I was just having a little chat to myself then that I'll probably try and edit out. Um, so, yeah, where did where did we get to? Um, I think you were talking about being kind to yourself. Yeah, um, essentially, that, that's it, isn't it? On that that process of evolution, the the previous version of yourself. You can't really criticize because you always look backwards, don't you, as the new version of you and look mm. at the inferior version of you. And then you can kind of think, you know, it could have been better. Well, you could have, but you didn't know the mechanisms and the tools that you now do. So yeah. it's, um, it's a paradox that, that can't be solved. And I would imagine the 60-year-old you, the 70-year-old you, will look back with knowledge that this current version of you doesn't currently possess. Yeah. So yeah. And, you know, that, that's part of the beauty of life, that, isn't it, John? So if we were all yeah. stood still, it would be pretty damn boring. Yeah, definitely. I, I, think, um, I think I appreciate that more because, uh, again, I, I was raised with, with the notion that I had eternity um, as my mm. reward. So, you know... I don't have to worry about now because eternity is my reward. I can work at my, work on myself better in paradise where I'll live forever, whereas I don't believe that now. Uh, I, I have no reason to believe that, should I say. Um, so the only reality that I'm conscious of is this one here. 
the only life that I have is this one here. If there is something afterwards, then that's a bonus. But it shouldn't detract from the reality now, the life that I live, the reality that I share with other people, my family, um, with friends that are me, you know, online like yourself and others, um, of just having an enjoyment of life. I know that sounds a bit sentimental, but I truly, truly feel that way of an enjoyment of, of life. And I recognize that even when I get really bad days, where I, I, I am really bad, there's a kind of a weird perverseness in even my mental health ups and downs because I could very easy, easily not have any of that if I'd have killed myself when I was 16. Purely the, the fact that I'm still here yeah. and I have good days and bad day, days mean that means that I'm alive now. Mm. Yeah. And that's a powerful statement, isn't it? Yeah. It's um it comes from um a a quote from Richard Dawkins. Um it, it's about how how privileged we are to be alive. That all of the potential people who could have been born is more numerous than the people who have ever lived. And within that potential of people who have never been born, there are poets greater than Keats, there are scientists greater than Newton or Einstein, uh, there are uh, speakers uh, better than Gandhi or Martin Luther King. But they'll never know any of that because they, they were never born. So us, who have the opportunity to be alive, shouldn't we be thankful that we have the privilege of for a, for a fleeting amount of time, as Carl Sagan says, we are the universe's way of knowing itself. That is what life is all about. Wow. Mate, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, it's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. Um, and I think that's also probably an incredible way to wrap up this conversation. My pleasure. Um, I think, you know, we, we could probably go on, we could probably go on yeah. longer. Um, but what, what I want to say, John, is I'm incredibly thankful for your time. Um, incredibly thankful that you've come on. You've told your story and opened up like you have about some incredibly personal details. And hopefully people listening to this now will have that, <clears throat> that personal touch, that insight into who John Graham is rather than just the face of the business. Yeah. The, the fact that you're a man that's gone through all these things that you're continuing to grow and learn. Um, you've got some very deep and powerful thoughts in there. Um, and I hope people will appreciate that your story for what it is, which is to me, what, what I've taken from it is, 
you know, it's, it's a story of, of adversity um, and growth and mm. a continued story of growth. And it sounds like, you know, you're talking halfway through writing the book. So <laughs> there's still a lot to come. Yeah. Um, but I do, yeah, I can't thank you enough, mate, for coming on, being open and, and being part of this movement for want of a, a better word of, of men that are going to open up and talk um talk about their struggles their past their history their future uh with the hope of inspiring others to do the same um that said is is there anything else you want to say john that's fantastic mate i'll um i'll put a link to your bio in the episode details below in the description so there'll be a live link there to your instagram uh if anybody has listened to this and has enjoyed it Please give us a like, a follow, share, subscribe, depending on what platform you're on. And thank you very much for listening. John, again, it's been a pleasure, mate. I'm sure we'll talk again.